I want us to read that story again together, all right? This is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 in the NIV. And if we read it off the screens, we'll all be reading the same words, all right? This is gather to go to the need. Read it with me. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. They gathered around Jesus that day. And that's what we do. Here at First Baptist, we gather around Jesus. Jesus was in the house. People heard he was in the house. And they came to the house because they wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus is still and always will be the most compelling figure of human history. Unlike any other religious leader of any other religion, Jesus is the compassionate, kind, compelling one, a winsome figure. People left Jesus saying, what a wonderful man. No, not only for the wise things he said, for the marvelous things he did as well. Mighty in word and deed, this is Jesus. Don't ever make the mistake of bringing somebody to a religion or to a system or to a creed. That is a mistake. Don't bring your children to an institution. Don't let anything substitute for the personal presence of Jesus at your table, in your home, in your heart. Gather around Jesus. When the Father calls the family together for prayer, you gather around Jesus. When a crisis has occurred in the family, dads, moms, a great opportunity 
to bring the children together and gather around Jesus. We gather around Jesus. That's who we are. We trust Jesus with all of our life. He is Savior and Lord. It's because of Him we believe in God, who raised Him from the dead. And so our faith and our hope are in God through Jesus, the living Lord of glory. We believe there is no other name like His in all the earth. And one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Gather around Jesus. Gather your own resources, your own life, your thoughts, your difficulties, everything about you. Gather them around Jesus. Jesus is the answer to your need, just as he was the answer to the man who was paralyzed. Gather around Jesus in your heart, in your head. That's what we do at First Baptist. We gather around Jesus, and we scatter into our world. Jesus is extending to you two invitations. These are the invitations of the gospel. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we know that invitation to come. And in fact, it was an invitation understood by these men who carried the paralyzed man to Jesus. They understood this is an open invitation. Jesus is in the house. Everybody can come. We want to see him. And they bring their paralyzed friend in response to the invitation to come. But you will notice, after that paralyzed man has his sin forgiven, when he gets up, Jesus invites him to go. It's a reverse invitation. He's invited to come, then he's invited to go. And the nature of this congregation of believers is that we gather around Jesus because he has invited us to come. And then we scatter into our world because he has invited us to go. As the Father has sent me, So send I you, Jesus said to his disciples. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's John 20, 21. The Father in heaven sent his Son into the world. And the Son to whom we come for everything we need then sends us into the world. The invitation to go is part of the call of discipleship. I know for some it seems overwhelming, and some people may be thinking to themselves, why doesn't that preacher stop talking about needy people and going into the world and serving? I had a staff member tell me one time, he said, nobody that doesn't want to serve is ever going to join your church. You push it too hard. Well, the emphasis on going into your world, we gather to go, is in the book. It's the message. But it's also where you find your growth and healing yourself. 
See, it is important for Aaron to share his story, even though he's in the middle of a journey. Maybe you're not ready to go because you're saying to yourself, well, I don't know what the future holds for me. What if I stumble? What if I fall? Look, you entrust the future to the God who knows the future. But as soon as you get legs, you go. As soon as God does his work in you, you go. As soon as the power of God hits your life, you go. God wants that bright, wonderful witness of the marvelous grace that he has given, fresh from the lips of the fellow who is paralyzed. And you'll notice the invitation is to go to your house. That's the first place you go. It's not the only time Jesus invited somebody to go to their house. He invited the, par- the, the Gadarene demoniac, the fellow full of demons, to go to his house too. You go home. Go back to your own city and tell what God has done for you. This reverse invitation is everywhere in the teachings and ministry of Jesus. He's inviting you to come. He's inviting you to experience his presence. And he's inviting you to go. You say, well, where do I go? We deploy to the need. We gather around Jesus. We scatter into the world. We deploy to the need. The need is great in this paralyzed man's life. That's why he's being brought to Jesus. The whole story is prompted by this need that he has. If you read through the stories about Jesus and his interaction with human beings, you will discover that they are perpetually bringing needy people to Jesus. They bring their daughters, they bring their sons, they bring their friends. They bring the people that can't talk and the people that can't hear and the people that can't see. They bring them to Jesus because they are needy. I'm sure it must have surprised the four friends on the roof when having lowered this man finally down in front of Jesus, Jesus' first words are, Son, your sins are forgiven. The guys in the front row were saying, What? What? He can't do that. That's blasphemy. The guys up on the roof are saying, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. This guy can't walk. Why does Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven? Because forgiveness is his deepest need. I brought some stuff for you this morning. I wanted to show you. I found it yesterday in the compost pile, Okay. Yes, I have a compost pile. You just get the preacher you get, you know. I told him when I came 16 years ago, I'm going to be me, all right? <laughs> and I was digging through this compost pile. Can you show this? You see this, how long it is? That is a germinated seed, and the pumpkin seed is still stuck on the bottom of it. I don't know if you can see that. I found it in the middle of the compost pile. It is nine inches long 
That seed germinated down in the middle of that soil and it worked and worked and worked until it could get to the surface. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a sprout so long. If you were going to plant this seed, it would tell you plant it an inch or two in the earth. This one was planted almost a foot into the earth and it sprouted and grew. There's some seeds inside of you that are down there deep in the very center of your being. The brokenness that we have spiritually starts in the middle and works its way out from the center. It's a long, long sprout indeed. And the sin that pollutes us and prevents us from being who we want to be and know God intended us to be, that sin passes through every layer of our lives on its way to the surface. It touches everything. It's not just a little minor incision. It's not a wart on the skin. It's down in the center of the soul. That's where the problem is. That's where the sin originates in the human heart. And do you know, you can't remove that seed, that root, that sprout. You can clip off the top. You can cover it up when it hits the surface. But you cannot remove it. Those men in the front row are right. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can do that. You've got to let God do something so deep in you. If you want to be free of your burden of sin, you've got to open your heart up all the way to the middle to the place that is most private and intimate and secret in your life, to the very core of your being. And God is the one who alone can take the seed and the root and the sprout that has passed through every layer of your life on its way to the present and remove it. He removes sin are you ever surprised at how focused on sin the gospel is? It's good news. But as soon as you're talking about the good news, you go right to the sin problem. It's a problem you struggle with in regard to your spouse who is not perfect. But instead, you may have discovered... Deeply flawed with a sprout that goes through every layer of his life. And your child and your coworker. And if you are honest, the flaws you deal with even in your own life, you know to be so deep seated in the soul. Son, your sins are forgiven. Sounds almost flippant to the men on the front row. Because only God in heaven can do that.
in their theology, the man is paralyzed because he has sinned. All right? There's a one-to-one correspondence between his sin and his paralysis. He sinned, he got paralyzed. The bad thing happened to him because of his sin. When Jesus says, take up your bed and walk, and the man walks out, it is dramatic proof to the skeptics on the front row. His sin indeed is forgiven. His sin is forgiven. He's healed. He can walk. Now, Jesus never accepted that theology that the paralyzed man was sick simply because of his sin or that the blind man was blind because of the sin of his parents or himself. But he knew when he said, take up your bed and go home, that he was giving dramatic proof of the truth that he could forgive sin. Brothers and sisters, there's no other way to deal with the brokenness of the human heart except to come to God through his son Jesus. It's the only way. You can't do it yourself, nor can any friend do it for you. This removal of the sin, taking it away as far as the east is from the west, so it is remembered no more against you. That is God's work. And in your life too, as with the paralytic, Sin is the biggest and first problem in every relationship, every dimension of your life. When it really comes down to it, it's sin. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, including yours. You say, well, how do I identify what I'm to do in the world. Understanding that sin is the big problem. But the world is full of need. So how do I deploy to the need? God will show you. The expert in the law asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story about an unidentified man in a ditch who was hurt that we know nothing about except that he got beat up. He turned out to be the neighbor. God will show you who your neighbor is this week. You will go out into the world, you will scatter into this community, and God will show you who your neighbor is. It's his responsibility. You don't get to pick your neighbor. God picks them for you. And in the random activity of your week, you will pass by the man who is beat up and hurting and in the ditch. And if you are listening, you will hear the voice of God say, This is your neighbor. Bow with me, please. I want you to ask God something very specific. Show me my neighbor. 
This week, show me my neighbor. Maybe it's somebody who lives under your roof and in your house. Somebody who lives next door. Somebody you will meet at work. Somebody you will randomly meet in the course of your week. Lord, show us our neighbors. Scatter us into this world and deploy us to the need that is our assignment. And thank you, God, that at that moment you reveal yourself in all your power to us in the middle of our week, the middle of our day, the middle of our journey. We are yours, Lord. We want to be used by you. Thank you for your presence in this room, your presence to heal, to address our need, and to bring us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.